Thanks, Caitlin. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome if you're visiting with us. It's, it's great to be here with you. Uh, my name's Jono. Uh, if you do have a Bible, please keep that open uh, at this challenging passage uh, that we find ourselves looking at this afternoon. Uh, why, why don't we uh, pray as we begin to look at it? Uh, loving Father, you say uh, in the Scriptures... Uh, In Acts 17, you say that you have set a day when you will judge the world with justice uh, by the man that you have appointed. Uh, You say you've given proof of this to everyone by raising that man, Jesus, from the dead. Uh, Lord, as we look at this challenging topic of final judgment, we pray that you would help us see things as you do. And we pray that the reality of Jesus' sure return would help to shape the way we live today. And we pray uh, these things in the name of our Master Jesus. Amen. Uh, When uh, Jen and I uh, were first married, we discovered that neither of us are, are big fans of that thing that is often called life admin. Uh, paying the bills, you know, this, this sort of thing. And so instead of uh, sitting down and working out, but, you know, within our relationship, who was going to be the one to pay the bills and, and do the filing, uh, we both just ignored it. Uh, the bills didn't go away. You find yourself behaving like this uh, in life. Instead of accepting reality and living in harmony with it, We can just ignore reality, can't we? Or pretend it's not there. Uh, A late night on the screen. Uh, You know you're tired. You know you've got to get up early the next day for work or school or or whatever uh, responsibility, but you live as though that is not reality. And you pay for it in the morning, don't you? Uh, The student with the assignment's due date that's looming... uh, but not touching that assignment day after day, living as though the due date isn't reality. Much of life is like this. There's something that is ahead where to be prepared in some way or another. And this afternoon we're looking at this uh, topic uh, that is often ignored even within the church, I guess because it's hard, Uh, this idea of final judgment. Uh, it's sometimes forgotten too that Jesus himself is the one who speaks about hell more clearly and more insistently than anyone else in the Bible. And while people at times can say things like, how can a loving God send people to hell? We might forget in that question that we all actually want justice. Even from childhood we're crying out, uh, for justice. In fact, as, as we look at all of the injustice in this uh, world, uh, and there is much, we can cry out, where are you, God, in all of this? Where is justice? Well, the God of the Bible does say that he'll bring justice, uh, and that will ultimately happen upon Jesus' return. Now, we're in this section of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus has been quite clear. We've been here for a few weeks and we're finishing up in this section this afternoon. He's been clear that the day of his return, it's coming. 
Uh, we just don't know when it will be. The angels don't know when. Even the son himself does not know when the day will come. But we know it will come. And he said, where to be ready. Uh, where to be ready if you were here last week like those five bridesmaids who were prepared for a long wait. Uh, ready like the faithful servants using their God-given resources and our abilities to serve the master. In verses 31 to 33, Jesus describes the second coming in that judgment sense. Uh, Just look there with me and I'll, I'll read. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Someone really helpfully said, I reckon, that nothing earthly could furnish the images for an adequate description of what is going on here. This is a full-on scene, isn't it? And Jesus is picking up images from the Old Testament, from Zechariah 14 and from Joel 3, where the Lord Yahweh is coming in judgment. He picks up pictures from Daniel 7, where the Son of Man is, Jesus is given all power and sovereign rule. And you notice that as Jesus sits enthroned as king and judge, it's all the peoples of the earth who gather before him. Now, that is comprehensive, isn't it? Universal judgment. Everyone giving an account to him. But we notice not universal bliss. Uh, Apparently, in their countryside, in the the Near East, sheep and goats would mingle together uh, during the day. And at night, they were often separated. Uh, As we might imagine, sheep go all right in the cold. Uh, but goats would be herded together for warmth. Just as the shepherd would divide the sheep and the goats, so there will be a great separation on that last day, says Jesus. Sheep on the right. The right hand was considered the place of power and and honour. Goats on the left. And if you look to the end of this section, there's that summary, verse 46. Uh, then they, the goats, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous, the sheep, to eternal life. And in verse 41, this is a confronting verse, isn't it? Uh, Then he will say to those on his left, the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There'll be a separation and there's only two possibilities. Eternal life, uh, we quite like the idea of that, or at least I do. Um, And so when someone passes away, you've attended some funerals, I suppose. At a funeral, no, no matter what the person believed or what life they lived, we often hear a rhetoric of he or she is in a better place looking down on us or, you know, something or another like that. We like the idea of eternal life. But this eternal judgment that Jesus speaks of, it's just really challenging. 
And so we might try and live as though it's not real. An example of this is Rob Bell, who wrote a book called Love Wins. The title sounds compelling. But what he teaches is called universalism, this idea that everyone will be saved in the end. That's not what Jesus taught. And because this final judgment is such a, such a hard reality, some will argue that when Jesus says eternal punishment, he doesn't mean eternal, but that people will be destroyed, an idea called annihilationism. But that's not what Jesus teaches. Or there's the Roman Catholic idea of purgatory, a temporary place of punishment for past sins that someone might eventually become fit for heaven. But that is not what Jesus teaches. Because eternal judgment is a hard reality, we may be tempted, like many, many others, to live as though it's not real, to pretend or ignore it, like we might with the screen late at night or with the assignment we just don't want to face up to. But you see, Jesus does not allow any wiggle room. It is one or the other, eternal life, or eternal judgment. We live in this period of grace, don't we? Between the two great events, Jesus' first and, and second coming, it's a, it's a time of opportunity uh, where the gospel is to be spread, a, a time to be reconciled to God through Jesus, to be ready for his sure return. So we want to know, don't we, uh, which is it for me? Uh, which is it for you? Well, on this, notice uh, first with me verse 34. Eternal life is not something that we can earn. Just read there with me. Uh, then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. These people are sheep because they're blessed by God. And see too that the sheep's inheritance, the kingdom, it was prepared for them when? Before the creation of the worlds. Even when these sheep were in their natural state of rebellion against God, God was preparing an inheritance for them. They're blessed. Eternal life is a gift, and I hope you know that already. A big difference between Christianity and the other religions is the way to salvation or the way to be right with God is gift. Nothing earned on our part but gift through the saving work of Jesus. Towards the beginning of Matthew's gospel, that angel comes to Mary and she says, You're to name him Jesus. Why? for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, next week, we're beginning to look at that long passion narrative in Matthew's Gospel, uh, where Jesus heads to the cross, uh, where he dies on our behalf. This eternal life, it's not somehow earned, it's gift. 
But to this you might say, what about the rest of this passage that was just read to us? What about verse 35 to 40? What about what's going on here? Isn't Jesus talking about good works, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the sick? Doesn't this mean that our ticket to life eternal is through engaging in social welfare? Social welfare is something we should be engaged in, but it's not our ticket to eternal life. In this section, I reckon we we have two wonderful surprises. First, notice that when Jesus commends his sheep for feeding him and more, they're oblivious. Uh, Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? They're not doing these things to somehow win God's approval. Uh, If they were, surely that would be in the forefront of their minds. They're genuinely surprised. Lord, what are you talking about? See too, though, from verse 44, the goats are surprised as well. Uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry or, or in prison and did not help you? Just as the sheep didn't notice what they've done so the goats have not noticed their failure lord we don't we, we don't know what you're talking about that's surprise one both groups seem oblivious to their actions they what they seem to be doing they seem to be doing naturally surprise two this is the big one uh, do you see verse 40 and then verse 45 they're, they're the central the, the key verses to understanding this passage i reckon uh, how do I know if it's, if it's eternal life for me or eternal judgment? What is the deciding factor? In verse 40, Jesus says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then verse 45, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. You see, the, the difference between the, the sheep and the goats is the difference between what they did and did not do for the brothers and sisters of Jesus. And so then you've just got to ask, don't you, who are the brothers and sisters of Jesus so that I might get on with serving uh, them? And if we're reading Matthew's Gospel back in chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus asked that very question. You remember the scene, if you've read it, Jesus' mum and his brothers are trying to get to him. They want to speak to him. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he points at his disciples. And he says, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In other words... According to Jesus, there's a strong sense of spiritual family that goes beyond the physical family. That's a big thing for those of you in these really close physical families. I remember I went to school with a family. There were four, four boys in this family. The eldest was in my year, and then there were three uh, below him. If you were friends with one of these boys, you were friends with the rest. It's just how it worked. Uh, but if you're against just one of them. You had the whole lot uh, on your back. I remember observing 
someone having a disagreement with the eldest, Andrew. It wasn't me, thankfully. Uh, and there appeared the other brothers. It's like they just came out of the woodwork. They had some sort of radar on or something. You hurt Andrew and, and you hurt the lot. There was solidarity between the brothers. No differentiation there. This is the case with Jesus and his people. Back in chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus sends the 12 out on that mission trip. And he says to them in in verse 40, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And then two verses later, he says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. You see that there's this solidarity between Jesus and those he sends into the world, his disciples, just as there's solidarity between the Father who sends the Son into the world. So Jesus can say, back in our passage, things like, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. For I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink as you're serving his disciples. So what does it mean? It means, as David Cook puts it, our eternal destiny is determined by how we treat the disciples of Jesus because how we treat the disciples of Jesus is how we treat Jesus himself. To be in relationship with Jesus is to be in relationship with them, those disciples, his people. To neglect them is to indicate that we're not in relationship with him Whatever we do for them, he takes it personally as if it's done for him. Some of you are familiar with the story of the Apostle Paul. He was called Saul. And on the Damascus Road, we read in Acts 9, Jesus meets him and he speaks with him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, says Jesus. And you picture Paul, whose name was Saul, his brains, what are you talking about? I'm persecuting these Christians. I'm not persecuting you. But to persecute them is to persecute the Lord Jesus himself. And so in Paul's writings, we have this beautiful emphasis on being in Christ, united to Christ, solidarity with Jesus, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, this is sort of like Paul's last words. He's on death row. And he says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. You see that Paul, he gets the gravity of this. To desert Paul is not just to desert Paul, it's to desert Jesus. And this is why it is so sad when someone starts to withdraw from the Christian community. The problem with the goats, verse 45, 
is that they kept to themselves. Relationship with God is not earned, but just as I go out into our backyard and check our rain gauge to find out if it has rained, so how you relate to God's people is a barometer on how you're relating to God. Surprise one, neither group noticed. (laughs) It's what they did naturally. The sheep looking after other Christians, of course, they're in the family. The goats, they kept to themselves. Surprise too, how you treat God's people is how you treat God himself. So we ask, what does your relationship with God's people say about your relationship with him? I'm so serious about my love for Jesus that it it bubbles over into our relationships with one another. If not, take this as a warning from Jesus today. Our eternal destiny is determined by how we treat the disciples of Jesus because how we treat the disciples of Jesus is how we treat Jesus the master himself. Acts 17 verse 31. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising that man, Jesus, from the dead. God will bring justice. It's one or the other, eternal life or eternal death. Let's not be dumb and live as though this isn't reality. But let's together live in harmony with what is real and be ready for Jesus' sure return. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, in our individualistic world, this is a confronting passage. Uh, We like to do things on our own uh, and have a tendency to think just of ourselves. But here we see Jesus saying that how we treat one another speaks of how we treat you. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we keep to ourselves, those sins of omission where we don't think of our brothers and sisters and their needs. Yet, Heavenly Father, we, we want to pause too and just reflect on this wonderful privilege that to serve one another is to serve you. To give one another a, a cup of water is to get you a cup of water. So, Lord, we pray that you would challenge us on this And we pray too, Lord, that we would not be a people who ignore reality. As we believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again, Lord, so we believe that he will come again and judge the living and the dead. That there will be a great day of accountability where we will all be gathered before our master and king. And Lord, we thank you that as the narrative progresses, Jesus is going to the cross where he will die in our place. 
And so now we say, Lord, we're sorry for the ways that we've been living for ourselves and not for you. And with your help, by your spirit, please help us enjoy living for you as we wait for your return. And mighty God, by this, as we love one another, may all people know that we are your disciples. And we pray this uh, for your glory in our Master Jesus' name. Amen.